You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. We're going to have an awesome time in the Word this morning. I know I say this every week, but I'm excited about what we're talking about in uh, the, the things that Jesus did for us. And so this is week number four in our series called Redemption, or Redeemed, rather. Say, Redeemed. redeemed. Say this. Say, I am, I am. Redeemed. redeemed. Amen. Let's look at our foundation scripture. You'll see it there on your notes or on the screen, found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Aren't you glad? I said this last week, but aren't you glad we're qualified? I said, aren't you glad you'll be qualified? Don't ever let anybody tell you you're not qualified. Qualified for what? He said, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us. Say this, say, I am delivered. I am delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have, we already have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So it's very, very important Again, I always tell you, pay attention to the details. So notice Paul said, we already have redemption. And so uh, somebody might say, well, what is redemption? Redemption means you've been bought out of something. Now, there, that's only one side of it, though, and this, these verses talk about this. You were bought out of something and put into something. And what Jesus did is he bought you, he paid the price for you to come out of the kingdom of darkness and be translated or conveyed, this verse says, into the kingdom of God's dear son. And uh, again, you know, I don't remind, mind reminding you of these things over and over and over again because we got to get them down on the inside of us. But you're not waiting till you get to heaven to become a citizen of heaven. You are already a citizen of heaven. You belong there. Matter of fact, I'll say this to you. If you wait till you, you're, you're going to become a citizen of heaven, you're too late. It's, you got to do that here and now. So you are already a citizen of heaven. Jesus redeemed you from the old kingdom that you were a part of and has brought you into the kingdom of his dear son, the scripture says. And so... That is exciting to me to know that it's already been done. The work has already been accomplished. Now, in today's sermon, I want to highlight and show you and, and illustrate for you that in the body of Christ, in, in the church, universal, there are predominantly two large groups of people. And I'm going to illustrate these two groups of people for you. And so let me just uh, read you a story, and this will illustrate the one. You've probably heard this before, but, uh, and this is something I read years ago. 
The story of a man, this is back in the day of ocean liners, you know, before aircraft could fly uh, transatlantically, people would get on those big ocean liners and go from England to New York or the United States and back and forth. And so I read the story of a man that was traveling from England to the United States during the days of the great ocean liners that were the main mode of transportation. This voyage usually took about a week And this one particular man had saved most of his money to be able to buy a ticket so that he could make this trip. And throughout the trip, every evening, he would watch as the other passengers would get dressed up and go to the dining room and eat the wonderful food that had been prepared. And he could smell it, and it smelled so good. But while this was happening, this man would go to his cabin and take some crackers and cheese that he had packed in his luggage and brought with him, and he rationed out a little bit of that each and every day so that he would have something to eat. On the last day of the trip, as the ship was nearing its destination, the captain saw this man on the deck of the ship and asked him, he said, Sir, have we offended you in some way or not provided good service to you for your trip? The man replied, and he said, Oh, no. He said, I've been very happy with the accommodations. And the captain said, well, the reason I asked is that I haven't seen you in the dining room one time throughout the whole voyage. And the man replied, well, that's because it was all I could do to save the money just to buy the ticket to board the ship and make the trip, and therefore I could not afford all those wonderful meals. Shocked and amazed, the captain replied and said, sir, I am so sorry, but all of those meals were included in the price of your ticket and you could have been eating with us all along. What is the moral of this story? Well, the basic gist is this, that the man did not know what he had bought or what he had purchased and belonged to him the whole time. And so if you're taking notes, write this first point down and that is this, many believers do not know what has been bought and paid for by Jesus and belongs to us now. You know, one of the greatest things you can do as a believer is to jump in or dive into God's Word to find out what Jesus, the fullness of what Jesus did for each and every one of us. You know, there's some in the church that believe that all Jesus did was died on the cross, paid the price for our sins so that we could escape hell. And that's wonderful. I'm so glad that as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, I don't have to dread and look to going to hell when I die. But life and what Jesus bought and paid for is so much greater than fire insurance. He did so much more in this wonderful plan of redemption that he bought and paid for. And so let me show you a couple of scriptures that I'm sure you've heard before, but John chapter 8 and verse 32. Now this verse gets misquoted a lot, but notice what the scripture says. And you shall what? Know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now I hear people will quote that last part and they'll say, well, you know, the truth will set you free. No, it won't. It's the truth that you know that will set you free. You can have, um, and maybe you you grew up with one of these. Anybody grow up in in your household or 
maybe in your grandmama's household or whatever, and they had one of those big old family Bibles. You know the big ones that were about this big, and, and most of them were white, okay? And they sat on the coffee table. Now, I used to love to get ours out because they had neat pictures in it. I could look at the pictures as a kid. But here's the thing is that there are too many Christians that have Bibles in their homes, but they don't know what the Bible says and what it contains in telling us what Jesus has bought and paid for. So you can have a book that is the truth in your own home, but if you don't know what is in the book, the book can't do anything for you. So truly, it is the truth that we know. Now, what's interesting about that word know is in the Greek language, it's the word gnosko, which means to, listen, have an intimate relationship with. And so it's the truth that you and I are intimate with. That is the truth that is going to set us free. You know, I, I know there's a... Uh, one of the community colleges here in our area on the main building uh, down in downtown Charlotte, it says this on the, the top of it. It says, knowledge is freedom. Okay? But not, not really. It's knowledge that you firmly know and apply to your life that produces freedom. Okay? So it's very important to understand what Jesus said is, is that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now there's a verse in the Old Testament, Hosea chapter four and verse six, that says this, destruction has overtaken my people because they have no knowledge. Uh, the old King James says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so it's not what you know that hurts you, it's what you don't know that could bring destruction in your life. So as a Christian, it is important, super important that we know the truths of God's word and especially in the context of what we're talking about, what Jesus has bought and paid for. Somebody might have the misperception to think, well, you know, if it's what God has for me, then it will just come to pass in my life. No, nope, it won't. Because there are many people Jesus, well, let me say it this way. Jesus has already died on the cross. Can we agree with that? He's already been buried and raised from the dead. Can we agree with that? Now that happened 2,000 years ago. So that work has already been accomplished. But how many of you know that unfortunately and sadly there are people who die without a, a relationship with God because they did not know or did not act on what Jesus has already bought and paid for. And that's the sad truth. So anyway, it's the truth that we know. So we need to know what belongs to us, what Jesus has already bought and paid for. Now let's talk about this second group of people, and I'll illustrate it with another story. And, and uh, I, again, I read this story about a man who, and this was many years ago in the early pre-depression era, era I read another story about a man who was found dead in a small, shabby apartment that he rented for $3 a week. He had been a familiar sight on the streets of Chicago for about 20 years, always dressed in rags and eating out of garbage cans. When he wasn't seen for two or three days, concerned neighbors went to look for him and found him dead in his bed. An autopsy revealed that he had died of malnutrition 
But listen to this. Yet a money belt was found around his waist that contained more than $23,000. Now what's so sad about this is this man had lived in abject poverty, peddling newspapers for a living, yet he had all that money. He could have lived in the finest hotel, but instead lived in this little run-down room. He could have eaten the best food, but he died of malnutrition. What was the problem is the man did not use what he had in his possession. So here's the next thing I want you to see, and that is this. Many believers may know or have some idea what belongs to them, but do not use what God provided for them in redemption. Here this man had, and at that time, that was a tremendous amount of money. Well, to be honest, it's a lot of money today, but uh, back in that day, that was a huge sum of money, and he could have lived a quality of life that was a whole lot better than what he was living, but because he had all of those resources and all of those things at his disposal, it did him no good because he did not use what belonged to him. And so I believe that there are many believers in the body of Christ that either don't know what belongs to them or they may know or have some idea and yet for whatever reason do not receive and take advantage and use what Jesus bought and paid for. Now, you do understand that God did not send Jesus to the cross for his own benefit. He did not have Jesus pay the price for your healing, your deliverance, your freedom, your provision and prosperity. He didn't pay that price for God. God did not need any of those things. You and I do. And so the price that was paid was for you and me. So what a shame it would be for us to end up and uh, step over into eternity, and we go before the Lord, and the Lord asks, why didn't you take advantage of what I bought and paid for and provided for you? So I don't know about you, and I don't say this greedily at all, but if God bought and paid for something that belongs to me, I want it. Do you? Okay. So we're going to take advantage of those things. So the, the, one of the things that I want to talk to you about today that Jesus bought and paid for is this, and write this down, please. One of the many things Christ paid for in his plan of redemption is our authority in him. Everybody say authority. You have authority in the, in the Lord, in the, in the price that Jesus paid. He bought and paid the price to give you authority. Now, what does that mean? Authority over the powers of darkness, over the devil and his team, all of those things. You have authority over fear. You have authority over depression and oppression and those things that the, the devil likes to introduce into our lives. You have God-given authority over all of those things. So say this after me. Say, I have, I have. authority in Jesus' name. All right, so I want to show you a scripture uh, that's found in Luke the 17th, or Luke the 10th chapter, rather, in the 17th through the 20th verses. And let me just lay a little groundwork before we read this and tell you what had happened. Jesus is well into his ministry by this point, and so he gathers not only the 12 disciples, but he has 
48 additional disciples that are not in the group of 12, but they followed Jesus' ministry closely. And so what he did is he sent the 70 out and gave them permission. He, he commissioned them to go and to minister to the sick, to heal the sick, uh, to minister on Jesus' behalf, cast out devils, and do uh, what Jesus was called to do, be an extension of him in his ministry. And so they did that. They went out for a period of time and they were successful in what, what Jesus had called them to do. And so they came back to the Lord and gave him a report on what had been happening. <clears throat> so it says in verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, it says, then the 70 returned saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, Jesus, said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, he's talking about way back in eternity past when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven because he rebelled against God. And Jesus, of course, obviously was present in his pre-incarnate uh, person uh, that he saw Satan get kicked out of heaven. So he saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, so behold, you remember what behold means? Look at, so, listen, Kathy said it with her Minnesota accent and it didn't work, okay? Let me say it to you from a backwoods country, Georgia, South Georgia accent. Looky here, all right? It's not looky here like she said, okay, all right. Jesus said this, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now, he's using that as an illustration. He's not literally talking about you need to run out and get you some snakes and stuff, okay? All right, listen, if I ever roll into a church and find out it's one of them snake handling churches, I'm rolling right back out, okay? Because there's some things that are just, something, well, it's just stupid. Well, anyway, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over how much? Come on, say it with me. How much? I give you power over all the power of the enemy. So he says, I give you authority over the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't get your priorities out of line. He said, that's great. He said, but just remember, you've got a relationship with me. Now, I want to read verse 19 to you in the Passion Translation because I love the way that it's translated. And it says this, now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. Oh, let me put it up there so you can read it along with me. Let me start over so you can see it. Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his, the devil's kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. That's powerful right there. 
You know, that's one of those mic drop moments. We could just drop the mic right now, pray, and go home. And if we just understood what verse 19 just said, okay, it would, it would do us a whole lot of good. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus would have given the, the, the 70 more power and more authority than he would have given the body of Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection? The answer is no. Okay? So he was able to convey to them this authority. Well, I would venture to say, and I would submit to you today, that the church has no less authority than these disciples did in Jesus' day. So, that being said, I'm going to read this verse again, and it's for you and me. So, now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing, say nothing, will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. That is just absolutely a powerful verse right there that what the Lord said. So, you know, you can take that verse and if you will get that down into your heart, I want to submit this to you. You know, I think there's just some things that we tolerate because we think it has to be that way. And I would submit to you that there's some things you and I do not have to tolerate and put up with. Amen? Why? Well, just look at the last sentence. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. All right? So, Jesus gave them that delegated authority. Now, listen to me carefully. He gave the 70 this delegated authority as a man under the Old Testament ministering under the anointing of God. Okay, so let me say it to you another way. Jesus did not do what he did in verse 19 as the Son of God risen from the dead. He did it as a minister under the old covenant anointed by God and gave this authority to these disciples. Do you see that? Okay, so now I want to bring us forward in time a little bit to now we're after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so write this down, please. Jesus himself personally defeated the enemy and stripped him of the authority to rule over believers. So here's what Jesus did, in, in part of what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection is that he made it a spiritual, eternal fact and reality that you and I, as believers in him and as a part of the body of Christ, have authority over the powers of darkness more so than those 70 did. Matter of fact, let's, let's just look at a couple of verses. Look at Colossians chapter 2. 
and verse 15. Now, Paul writing here is, is highlighting for us what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead. So it says, and again, I'm reading from the Passion, it says this, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. Now, I said this to you last week, and I want to just maybe mention this again. In, when Jesus died, he died spiritually because of my sin and your sin. And so he experienced separation from God. And as we established last week, if you die and step over into eternity separated from God, you spend an eternity in hell. Now, it's just a harsh truth, but it is the truth. Now, here's what happened. When Jesus died on the cross, he died as a sinner, not because of his sin, he didn't sin, but because of my sin and your sin. And for the first time, he experienced separation from God and therefore went to hell to pay the price for you and me. Now, on the third day, and you remember I said to you last week that, uh, I, you know, one of the things, and if the Holy Spirit reveals it to me ahead of time, that's great, but one of the things I'm going to ask the Lord when I get to heaven is what is the significance of the third day? Okay, why did it have to take three days? In other words, why, you know, if he died on Friday afternoon, why did it take until Sunday morning for him to get up. So I don't know. The Bible doesn't really make it clear. But it's just one of those things that makes you go, hmm. But anyway, so during that time, he was paying the price for you and for me. But then God spoke and raised him up, made him alive spiritually first. So for the first time, you now have a human being who is alive unto God but yet still in hell. Now, now listen to me. So what happened, what had happened was that when he was made alive, that he had to do something to establish a principle and, and, and set it in stone, if you will, for all of eternity. So now, this is where we pick up with this verse. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Now that's a whole different lesson, but the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. In other words, what he likes to do is he thinks He's snitching on you, but in reality, he's snitching on himself, okay? So anyway, and by the power of the cross, Jesus led them, them who? Them powers and principalities of darkness around in prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Now, I love that. Now, you remember... When Jesus was raised from the dead and he told his disciples and he, he said this to them, he said, all power and authority both in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. When was it given to him at this moment? 
because he legally fulfilled everything that was necessary to redeem mankind. And the Bible says that he now possesses the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Now, what does that mean? How many of you have the keys to your house? Okay. What that means is you have access and control over your house. Do you not? Okay. You can enter, you can exit, you can allow in whatever you want it to allow in, or you can kick out whatever you want to kick out. Why? Because you hold the keys. Now, if you didn't have the keys and somebody else did, are you still in control? No, you're locked out. But thank God, Jesus said, I now have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So, you know, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I believe what happened was that when Jesus was raised up and made alive, part of what we read here in Colossians 2.15 is he went over and on Satan's belt took the keys off and said, those now belong to me. Thank you very much. And so when he was raised from the dead, he brought those keys. Now, keys represent authority and power. And so when he did that, he, he was raised from the dead, and now those things belong to him. Are you tracking with me? So let's talk about for just a moment, what is authority? Well, here you go. Write this down. Authority is delegated power. Authority is delegated power. Now, what does that mean? Well, my friend back there in the back, our police officer, he has been given delegated power. He has authority. He wears it on a badge on his chest. And uh, if he ever gets called on, to maybe work a football game or, you know, down at the stadium or something along that line, he might get a sign to direct traffic. Well, he could stand out in the street with his vest on or whatever he needs to do so that he's visible and he can put one hand up and stop vehicles that weigh thousands of pounds. Now, think about this with me. Can he physically stop those vehicles? No, he cannot. What stops those vehicles? It's the delegated power that's behind him. In other words, God forbid, but if, if you were to run over him, you're not just going to deal with him. You're going to deal with all the power that's behind him. Are you listening to me? So, even though the police don't have the physical ability to stop cars and trucks, they have the delegated power given to them by the government that they serve and people recognize that authority and stop their cars. Okay? So what does this mean? This means that you and I have been given delegated authority not by a city, state, or government, or federal government, whatever. You have been given the delegated authority of heaven that is backed by God himself. 
Now, you need to understand something. Just like I said, if somebody was to ignore his authority and was to hurt him, then they would have to reconcile that with the governing authority behind him. Well, when you and I put up with stuff that the devil tries to bring into our lives, unfortunately, God is not able to do anything about it because you're not walking in your delegated authority that heaven backs. But when you stand up and you say, no, I am not going to have that in my life, in my household, in my family, in the name of Jesus, when you do that, then you need to understand you're not standing out there by yourself. And even though you might say in the name of Jesus, it's not you that's saying that. All of heaven now backs what you do and what you say. Are you listening to me? So that authority that is backed by God himself will step out and stop the operations of the devil in your life. Now, I want to say this to you, okay? Now, I'll be the first one to tell you about who you are in Christ and the authority that you have in the name of Jesus. But in and of yourself, you don't have the power to stop the devil any more than he has the power to stop an automobile. It's based on the power that is behind you, that is backing you. Do you understand that? Okay, so it's very important. Now, write this down, please. The strength of our authority in Christ rests on the power that is behind that authority. Okay, are you tracking with me? All right, so we said last week, and I'm not going to take the time to read these scriptures again, but Ephesians chapter 1 says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was elevated in physically and in position and authority, and he was seated above all principalities, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Do you remember we looked at that? Okay. And then it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that at the same time that Jesus was raised up, you were raised up. And so you were raised up and seated in him and with him in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, and dominion in every name that is named. So just like those things are under his feet, those things are under your feet. You are seated above them. Okay? Now, if we were raised up at the same time the head of the church was raised up and all authority was conferred upon the head, then it was also conferred upon his body, which was raised up together with him. Now, do you remember that from last week? Okay. So listen, you need to see yourself. And, and you know, I can't, I can't imagine <clears throat> what goes on in the spirit realm. <clears throat> Pardon me. When angels hear people say this and demons hear people say this, oh, Lord, y'all pray for me. The devil's got me on the run. Anybody ever heard believers say that? Think about that, y'all. A blood-bought, blood-washed person that's been raised up together with Christ is seated together with him in the heavenly places 
has the audacity. Now, I know they mean well and they're saying it out of ignorance, but they have the audacity to say that the devil is harassing me and has me on the run. Can you imagine what the angel, the angel you know, the angels that are standing around listening to that, I, I just, I think they probably just have to hold their head down. And the demons think it's funny because they're, they don't want people to understand what I'm telling you today. Okay, so what a shame for us not to understand these things and walk in them. Now, I want us to go over to Hebrews chapter 1, and let's look at verses 1 through 3, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So just in case you need to understand something about the place of authority, I want to say this. Please keep in mind, even though you are physically sitting in this room in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the earth at, on Sunday, March 26th, okay, you are seated in two places at one time, <clears throat> okay? And you need to get that in your thinking. All right, look at Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the, prophet, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of some things. Huh? What's it say? He's appointed him heir, he's appointed him heir of a couple of things. All things. Well, Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says that you have been made a joint heir with Christ. I just thought I'd throw that out there. That was free. So whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, just to help you understand this, okay, I want you to picture in your mind, and I don't know what it looks like, nobody does, well, we will one day, the throne of God. And God in all of his glory and splendor and majesty being seated on that throne. Well, the Bible says that right next to him, at his right side, Jesus is seated. All right, now it's literal and it's metaphorical in the sense of Jesus hasn't been sitting on that throne for 2,000 years. He gets up and he roams around heaven and all that kind of stuff, all right? I want you to understand that. But <clears throat> in your mind, I want you to establish that in your thinking. Now, notice it says at the last part of this that uh, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I want to say this to you. There is no more powerful position or place in all of the universe. <clears throat> 
both spiritually and naturally. No place. So write this down, please. The right hand of God where Jesus is seated is the center of power for the whole universe. You're seated there already. You're not going to get seated there when you go to heaven. You're already seated there. You're seated in Christ with him at the Father's right hand at the most powerful place that there is. Okay? So God himself is the power behind that authority. Now, the devil and his forces are obliged to recognize that authority and in turn, our authority. But again, here's, listen to me. What they are hoping is that you never find out. Or if you start to get a little glimpse of it, that's okay, just as long as you don't walk in it. Because a believer that understands and begins to walk in what I'm telling you today will begin to have an impact on the devil's kingdom. And you got to understand something. He, he knows his time is limited. You do know Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes and establishes his, his kingdom... The devil's time is limited. He knows that. But here's what, where he's fooled. He thinks if he can hurt and harm you and keep you out of the will of God for your life and keep you from walking in what Jesus has bought and paid for, he is buying himself some more time. But he's wrong. Okay? Now, Let's look at James chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, there's other scriptures that say basically the same thing, but this is pretty much in your face. James 4, 7 in the Passion says this. So then, surrender to God. Let me highlight it for you. Stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will turn and run away from you. Now, let me, let me say this, okay, because I know people will say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I resisted the devil, but he didn't go anywhere. No, see, that's what he wants you to think. He did. But again, he's hoping you don't know that. All right? Now, he will, he will not argue with you about the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. He and all of his cohorts know what is behind that name. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I'm going to emphasize it in just a moment. No, I'm going to wait. Let me, let me get just, I'm going to get to it in just a second here. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 as we begin to wind this up. So, therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is cancer a name? Yes. Okay. Is uh, heart failure, 
a name? Is poverty a name? Okay. Is strife a name? Yeah. All right. So it says that God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there is something, and I'm going to describe it in just a second, but there is something that happens when a believer stands up in their authority in Jesus' name and opens their mouth and says no to whatever it is, no to cancer, no to heart failure, no to whatever it is, and you say no in Jesus' name, I will not have that in my life. There's something that happens. All right, so I was reading a book by a man that I've mentioned before, Reverend E.W. Kenyon. He wrote in his book, The Wonderful Name of Jesus, and he was ministering one night. He was a preacher back in the early part of the 20th century, and he ministered one night on the name of Jesus, and the middle, and in the middle of his message, an attorney raised his hand and interrupted him and asked the question, do you mean that Jesus has given us the power of attorney? And so Mr. Kenyon responded and said to him that he was the lawyer and the expert, and at, based on what the Bible says, did Jesus give us the power of attorney? The man responded and said, well, if language means anything, Jesus gave to the church the power of attorney. Well, then Mr. Kenyon asked him, what is the value of the power of attorney? The lawyer responded and said, it all depends on how much there is in back of that power of attorney, how much authority and power that that name represents. Mr. Kenyon goes on to say, all the power and authority that Jesus has and had is invested in his name. So do we have power of attorney to use his name? Jesus said we could use his name in prayer. We could use his name in dealing with demons, in laying hands on the sick, or whatever he calls us to do. Sometimes we focus too much on our part in ministering to someone, but we must realize that it's the power in that name that does the work. Mr. Kenyon went on to say the measure of his ability is the measure of the value of that name and all that is invested in that name belongs to us for Jesus gave us the unqualified use of his name. Now I want to read you one last scripture. I don't know if you're ready for this. Are you, do you think you can handle this? Are you sure? Okay. I don't know. What do you think? All right, John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said this, talking to his disciples, and whatever you ask. 
Now, in the Greek language, okay, this is a little different because he repeats basically the same thing in John the 16th chapter. But in the Greek language, in this verse, this word ask is greater than just petitioning for or begging. No, this word ask in this verse can be translated ask, demand, or require. In my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now notice prayer is not mentioned anywhere in these two verses. Nowhere. He said, if you ask, demand, or require anything in my name, I will do it. Now, do we demand stuff of God? No. We don't make demands on God. But you can demand that the forces of darkness do some things. They have to obey what the word says. So Jesus said, whatever you ask, demand, or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what Jesus is saying is this. If you ask, demand, or require something in my name, I will back it up. Okay? Now, here's the last thing I want you to write down, please. Jesus says that whatever we ask, require, or demand in his name, he will do it. Now, you and I don't have the power. But when we ask, demand, or require something in Jesus' name, it doesn't require any power from you. It requires the power of God to show up. Can I be so forward as to say this? Um, and, you know, I've taught on angels a little bit and that type of thing and what goes on in heaven. But you need to understand that when you make a demand in the earth, in the name of Jesus, like, for instance, let's say the Lord moved on your heart to minister healing to someone and you, you're prompted to just say, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. See, the Lord's confirming. Do y'all hear that rattling and shaking? Okay. <laughs> All right, so when, let, let's say you are led by the Spirit and you do that. As far as the power of God is concerned, it knows no different but that Jesus just said that. Now, there's not one time in the four Gospels where I saw Jesus doing something like that and the power of God did not show up. Really? Did it? Uh-uh. No, not once. And I'm going to say this to you, going back to the principle of the power of attorney. When a believer stands up and says, in the name of Jesus, I declare that I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, the angels of heaven snap to attention. Because as far as they are concerned, it was as though the righteous one seated at the right hand of the Father just made that declaration. And they must respond 
accordingly. Now, even though the tone of your voice might be different, you know, obviously, if you're a female, I'm a male, our voices sound different tonally. But spiritually speaking, if you're speaking in the name, it sounds the same. And it sounds as though the Father said it. So, one of the greatest things that Jesus bought and paid for in the plan of redemption is the fact that you are redeemed, that you are delivered, that you are set free, but he gave you all the authority and power of heaven to use his name to enforce his will and his kingdom in the earth. Do you get this? Say this after me. In Jesus' name, I have authority over the powers of darkness, over sickness and disease, over poverty and lack, over strife. In Jesus' name, I have authority over those things. And I will not tolerate the works of darkness in my life. In Jesus' name, I resist those things. And so according to the word, the devil has to flee. He has to run in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I double-dog dare you the next time you need or have an opportunity, use the name of Jesus. Now, you can't use it on people, <laughs> okay? So don't get mad at somebody and say, hey, in Jesus' name. No, don't rebuke them in Jesus' name, all right? But I'm talking about don't tolerate the works of darkness in your life, your household, and what you have dominion and control over in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.